have a copy of God's Word, won't you find the book of 1 John? If you're new to the Bible, it uh, can be a little bit confusing at times. And so there's actually like three books with the name John in them in the New Testament. And uh, you're looking for the one that has a number one in front of it, just like this graphic behind us, okay? And so you're going to find a big book called John and then keep searching. If you go all the way to Revelation, if you reach maps, just retract back a little bit and you'll find 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. We're going to be in the 1st John that you stumble upon in that little series of little books. Hey, we are so excited you made the choice to get here tonight. And I'm fired up about this new series that we're kicking off as we walk verse by verse uh, through this little but punchy letter called 1 John. And as you are finding your way to 1 John, a couple of weeks ago I told y'all that I had a water faucet issue. And so I had to get underneath the house and do some plumbing and all that stuff. I don't know if you remember it. It's not that big of a deal. Anyway, I was underneath the house fixing that thing and I had this flashlight underneath the crawl space of my house, and I was shining it around, and I started noticing that the foundation of this part of my house didn't look so good. And so after I got the water plumbing faucet thingy fixed, or I don't know if that's the technical term, anyway, after I got that fixed, I got back underneath the house, which is extremely dark, low-key, really scary when you're underneath there. You don't know if you're going to get eaten by a you know, an anaconda or whatever lives down there, I'm not real sure, or a spider or whatever. And so I get underneath there, I start shining the light at this foundation, and I realize that there is significant damage to the foundation of my house. Like, I go to grab one of the, one of the floor joists, and it just disintegrates in my hand. This is not a good thing. And so I begin the process of repairing my foundation on my house, and I share that with you uh, tonight because where we are headed over the next few weeks is that we are going to shine light on your personal foundation, if you will. And what I mean by that is that the foundation of, of what makes you who you are, what makes you tick, uh, why you exist, um, what, what are your hopes and aspirations in life, in, and, and really what are your, what are your hopes forever? Like, what are you hoping for, that forever is going to bring you? And, and so we're, we're going to look at God's word, and, and we're going to allow it to examine the dark places of our heart, if you will. And we're going to allow it to examine the foundation of our life, and we're going to allow this word of God to begin to expose some things, and, and we're going to just follow where the word of God leads us. So that there's this thing that we do every week. It's called Paradigm. You're, you're here. Welcome. And uh, what we do is that we simply gather together. Uh, we sing some songs to Jesus because we kind of think he's a big deal. We open up the word of God. Then we read it. We talk about it. It's this frank discussion about your relationship with God and about the reality of your life. And so we're glad you're here. And we, where we are headed is, is no surprise because God's word is going to lead us there. But there's a real danger that exists here tonight spiritually that the danger is this, that, that you can attend a gathering like this repeatedly. You can hear messages like you're about to, to hear. You, you can chop it up with the people that you're gonna chop it up with tonight. And listen, you can do all of those things and you can miss what matters most. And so tonight, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna look at the main message of the Bible. Like, like if, if I had one message to preach that was gonna be the last message that I ever preached, it would be a message similar to where we're gonna go tonight. And so I'm so excited that you're here because we're gonna talk about what matters most. And let me just show you my cards real quick. I hope so badly, I hope that you leave tonight with some curiosity, like, mm, that smelled good, I want some more. 
I hope that you, you leave tonight with this, this crystal clarity on what matters most forever. And I hope that you leave tonight with confidence in, in regards to your relationship with God. And I hope tonight can be a night of defining moments for some of you here. Because here's what I know and here's what we believe profoundly. And I think that you believe this somewhere deep down inside. That everyone here is going to live somewhere forever. If you're taking notes and I've titled this message, Tasting the Gospel. Tasting the gospel, and I wanna answer three questions tonight. We're gonna answer three basic questions, and the first question that we're gonna answer is, what is the gospel? The second one, why do you need it, or why do we need it? And the third one, what do we do with it? And so we're starting this series through First John, and it's written by a guy named John. And I love my guy John, because John is just, he's really relatable to me for some reason. Like when you meet John in the pages of Scripture, he's this guy that lived in time about 2,000 years ago. And, and when Jesus meets John, John's fishing, and it's him and his brother. Their dad's name is Zebedee. And I just like it because John, he's probably got calluses on his hands. You know, he probably smells fishy, you know. Uh, he's a hard worker, and, and he's got this nickname. Him and his brother James have this nickname. I don't know where they got it in life. Maybe it was middle school, but their nicknames were this, that they were called the Sons of Thunder. I don't know if that's because they passed gas a lot. I'm not real sure. Um, I don't know if it's because they were loud. I'm not, but you don't just get a nickname. Here comes the, son, the, thun, the Sons of Thunder, excuse me. You just don't get a Thor nickname like that if you ain't some kind of force to be reckoned with. So I love my guy, John, because he's just, man, he's blue collar. He's down to earth. He understands life. He wasn't pampered growing up, and he was, he, he, like, he was a man's, man, I love John. And John, he's contributed five books that we, that we um, know that he contributed in the New Testament, the Gospel of John. He's got these three short letters with his name, first, second, and third John. And then John writes the conclusion of your Bible and mine, the book of Revelation. John was a faithful follower of Jesus through decades of his life once he met Jesus. John is the one disciple that followed Jesus through thick and through thin. He's the one disciple that was there at the base of the cross when Jesus breathed his last breath and said, Tetelestai, it is finished. John was so highly thought of by Jesus that Jesus looks at this man, John, as he's dying and he looks at his mama and says to John, would you take care of my mama? John is this guy that he's just, he, he oozes with faithfulness to Jesus. And he's writing this letter in about 90 AD. Now, now that's an important detail for two reasons. First of all, um, he's writing at a time when there wasn't enough time to have, have gone between the life of Jesus and, and a legend to have been developed. Like he's writing at a time when, when people read this letter, they remembered seeing Jesus that he's talking about. And so it's important that we understand that the timing of things because John isn't living like two centuries after Jesus came. John walked with Jesus and he's writing this letter within the lifetime of other people that had seen Jesus. That's an important reason, number one. The second reason is that John is, he's an old head at this point, all right? John is writing at the end of his life, and I don't know if you've ever hung out with somebody that's, that's older, uh, and maybe you have somebody in your family, but when you get older, you just kinda, you're a straight shooter. Y'all know this, right? 
Like, like, you, like some of y'all have to apologize to your significant other when y'all go meet grandma, right? You're like, Medea will say some things that you, that you just have to, you just got to know, right? She don't mean it that way, all right? She love everybody. She love Jesus, but she going to say some things that are just going to bother you a little bit, all right? Or my grandpa, you know, he's always posting stuff on Facebook that is very, very this way or that way politically and just, you know, just kind of go with it, all right? He loves you, I promise. And so you, anybody have that person? Well, John is at the end of his life and he's writing in a very, very frank in very, very serious, but a very direct manner. And here's what he says, starting in verse John, chapter one, verse one. That which was from the beginning. Let's, let's just stop real quick. What John is doing is that this is a clear signpost that is pointing backwards in the scriptures. Like John, he, he starts, it seems like he starts multiple of his multiple letters in, in, in this fashion. He starts at the beginning. This, this word beginning would have pointed back to Genesis chapter one. And there's this phrase in Genesis 1.1, this is the first book in your Bible, it says this, that in the beginning was God. That what John is saying is that he's starting to tell us about Jesus, but he starts with the very start of everything that we know. That he's saying that Jesus was there when all of this got here. He says it like this in, in his gospel, John. He says, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. He goes on to say, and then the word became flesh. Th that Jesus, he put on humanity, God in the flesh. And I love this because when you read about Jesus from the pages or the pen of John, like John is just like, man, Jesus is a big deal. Like we've got to right size Jesus tonight because I think some of us have asphyxiated our focus on Jesus in a cradle. Like we think that Jesus is soft, he's cute, or we saw some renaissance art of Jesus or saw some show where he had product in his hair, he was Anglo with blue eyes. That's not the Jesus, all right? Jesus swung a hammer for a living. He had biceps. He walked everywhere. He was not weak, poor, pitiful Jesus, all right? And we have left oftentimes Jesus in the cradle or on the cross, but Jesus is the creator of all that we know. Listen, you cannot embellish the greatness of Jesus. You cannot hyperbole the attributes of Jesus. That John is trying to say that he is the one that spoke everything into existence. Try to wrap your mind around this great reality tonight. That Jesus is, listen, Paul, he says like this in Colossians 1, that the fullness of God, the, the fullness of God, all right? Get your mind around that. Galaxy breather, mountain maker, ocean digger. I mean, atom, nucleus, and weird small things that we can't see, builder, all right? Like that God, all right? The fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Jesus. And so John, he's trying to draw our attention upon the greatness and the grandeur. Listen, Jesus is worth every song that was ever sang to him. Jesus is worth every poem, every journal entry, every story, every pen stroke that was given in regards to him. Jesus is worth every painting that was ever painted, every piece of art to reflect his greatness. He is worth all of that. He is worth every sacrifice, every life that has been laid down. He is worth it all. And John is trying to help us right-size Jesus tonight. And he had seen Jesus do some amazing things, and so he starts this short letter with, Jesus is awesome. 
He is the one that was from the beginning. He says, which, going on in verse 1, he says, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. So John, what he's doing primarily in this letter is he's, he's trying to correct this false teaching that, was, that existed in the church in the day called Gnosticism. Just think like New Age theology. What I mean by that is, is like everything's spiritual, you know? Like maybe some of you are here because the vibes are good. You know, maybe, maybe you're explaining, like, hey, you should come to Paradigm. It's just got a good feeling, you know? And like we, in, in our day and age, we tend to base our decisions upon the vibe, you know, and spirit, that kind of thing. And, and there's this new age theology that, that really is reflective of this old time teaching of Gnosticism. And, and what, what John is doing is he is simultaneously affirming the infinite nature of Jesus. But then he's saying that Jesus came and we saw him, we listened to him, we, we interacted with him. The, the, the core of Gnosticism is that, that spirit is all good and material is all bad. But what the gospel teaches is that Jesus came to redeem both. And so John is making it clear throughout this letter that Jesus is 100% man and 100% God. That, that, that the power of the universe, he indeed put on pampers. And that, that John is saying that I, I saw him, I did life with him, I saw him die, and then I, I can't explain how this happened, but I cannot deny it. I saw him raised from the grave, and we had fish together, we chopped it up for 40 days, and like, I mean, this is crazy, and he's just testifying to what he had seen. Like, listen, John had experienced Christ. Like, think about that for a second. John said he heard Jesus. So when Jesus called John, he just said, hey, John, it's me. And John knew who it was. He didn't have to be like, hey, it's Jesus. John knew what, what Jesus sounded like. Like, like John, he said that, that he, had, he had seen Jesus. That John knew what, what Jesus looked like. He knew if he had a, you know, a five o'clock shadow because he grew a beard, like a mean beard. Like John knew if, if Jesus had like, a, like a, a limp in his walk or he, he knew like if Jesus had like a scar from you know, getting his finger caught on a nail or something from building some tables back in the day because he was a carpenter. Like John, like he knew what Jesus, and then he even goes on to say that we looked upon him. That means that he kind of awkwardly studied Jesus. But you ever hung out with somebody so long that you can, you can imitate their mannerisms, right? Like, like maybe you had a coach growing up or maybe you work with somebody and you can almost like reenact the way that they do things, right? And so like John knew Jesus so well that, that he could almost finish his sandwiches. You know what I'm saying? And so, I'll catch that in a minute. Anyway, so he knew Jesus so well that he could predict what he was gonna say or how he was gonna say it because he spent significant time with Jesus. John says, not only did he hear him, not only did he see him, but, but like he laid hold of Jesus. Like they, they dapped each other up, man. Like they... Like like they had handshakes. I don't know what they did, but they, they had hugged each other. They had shaken each other's hands. That John had clearly experienced Jesus. And this is important because we are not reading from a man's ideas. We're reading from a man's experience. Christianity is the only faith that does not require you to put faith in the belief of other people. It requires you to put faith in what men and women saw. Christianity is a declaration of news. So John, he goes on in verse two and he says this, the life was manifested. 
And he's kind of continuing the same idea. And he says, and we have seen and we bear witness and we declare to you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. Notice that John is using like these plural words. He's like, we saw this and, and it was given to us that, that this isn't John in some little closet getting some revelation from God, writing it down, and I saw this and then I did this and it's all about me. No, John is saying like, y'all remember. Y'all, y'all remember when Jesus did this and, and there's other people that you can go talk to and he's just simply telling you what he saw. And so like, what's crazy is when you begin to understand the life of John a little bit more, and so John is the only disciple that made it really into old age. And, and the, the, the way his life concluded, is just, it just blows my mind. He has been faithfully following Jesus. He becomes an elder at this church in Ephesus that exists back in the day. And he begins to lead at a high level, teaching people and leading people and investing the kingdom of God or the word of God into people's lives. Then he gets arrested one day, and they basically say, hey, John, you need to be quiet about, about Jesus. And, and John, his reply is, how can we but, but stop, or how can we but help but speak of the things that we've seen and heard? We can't be, I can't be quiet. And so they take boiling water, and they, they try to boil John alive. Does it work, all right? So, some of y'all spilled some hot ramen noodles up on your foot one time, and you almost died, all right? And so John's got scars from this boiling water that did not kill him. It doesn't kill him. So what they decide to do, the authorities decide to do, is they decide to exile John to an island called Patmos. And John spends his last days faithful to Jesus, but alone. And we read from John, and we're like, John, why would you do that? He didn't get a book deal he didn't have a, a stage like this and benefits. He lived a hard life. He preached the gospel faithfully. They tried to boil him alive for it, and then they exiled him to an island to die alone. Who would give their life for this? Who, who would give their life for something that just he kind of made up? Who, who, would, who would make up these letters just to pull a trick on people? In, in which he was getting no kickback from. That John gave his life for what he saw. He gave his life for the truth. He gave his life for the gospel. Point number one, if you're taking notes now, you could write this question down. What is the gospel? What is the gospel? I love asking this question, and maybe some of you, we've interacted before just on a personal level. Maybe I've asked you this question. Hey, when I say the word gospel, what does that mean to you? And I love asking that question because it allows the person that I'm talking with uh, to, to begin to wrestle with, and I'll kind of be like, hey, man, I know this is awkward. I'm a pastor. You know, it's kind of like a, a pastor pop quiz, you know, but let me just throw this question out. When I say the word gospel, what does it mean to you? And the reason why I like asking that question is because here's what I know to be true. When you are clear with what the gospel is, th- that it allows you to have confidence in, in where you stand in relationship to Christ, And so tonight, some of you are going to get clarity as to what the gospel is. And and I think there's three types of people here tonight. There there are people that, that if I asked you, hey, what's the gospel, you would have no idea. And that's okay. You know you don't have to have all the answers in life? It's okay. We're glad you're here. We just expect you to be honest because that's what we're trying to be. And so I think people, you're going to hear the gospel for the first time. Awesome. I think there's others of us here that, that, that have been in these environments for years. 
You would maybe even say that you are a follower of Jesus, but when I say, hey, what is the gospel? You have no idea. And you can hear a message like this and you can start to feel a little bit of shame, like I should be further along than I am. Listen, shame is from the enemy. God will speak into your life and he will call you to change something. The enemy will shame you and tell you to go into hiding and pretend like you have it all together. And then there's a third group of people here tonight when it comes to the gospel, like this should just, like this message should just like cause you to like do cartwheels in your heart, man, because you're like, that's what I'm saved for, and that's what I'm saved from, and I love Jesus. You know, you should just be fired up. We should never get fatigued from the message of the grace and the, the goodness of God being poured out on our behalf. And so we need to be clear with what is the gospel, because a mark of maturity is that you can be able you can be able to explain where a new life comes from. You know what I'm saying? Like I have a, an eight-year-old and a six-year-old and a three-year-old daughter. Let's just say I was to pull my six-year-old up here and I was to say, hey, Elizabeth, do you know where babies come from? You know, she's probably not gonna be like, well, you know, there's a, you know, there's a dad and there's a mom. I'm like, no, she's gonna, she's gonna point to her mom and she's gonna say from mommy's tummy, right? And, and, and like that's fine, right? For a six-year-old, if that's all the information she has, that's good, right? That's sufficient. Now, let's say that you're here and you're a 25-year-old, and I pull you up on stage, and I say, hey, hey, Jim, uh, where do you think babies come from? You're like, well, it's obvious. It's from mommy's tummy. <laughs> Next question, please, right? Like, don't go on Jeopardy, Jim, all right? No, like there should be, you may not be able to explain, like, the, all the embryological complications that go into that, all right? But you at least know, if you don't know, let's talk, all right? It, but you at least know, all right? How babies get here, okay? And a mark of maturity is that you know where new life comes from. Some of you are here and you've been following Jesus for years. And if I were to ask you the question, where do new Christians come from? You wouldn't know. Others of you, you've been following Jesus for like two days. And I would ask you, where do new Christians come from? And all you may be able to do is just point to a cross somewhere and say, I, I can't explain it all, but I can't deny that I'm here and that God has changed my life. But listen, a mark of maturity is that you know where Christians or new Christians come from. And so, what is the gospel? The gospel, it simply means good news. And in order for news to be good, you gotta first understand that there's some bad news out there, right? Because if there's no bad news, then it's not really good news, it's just news, right? And so like, you gotta understand that there's some bad news. So the scripture starts with explaining that you and I, we got a problem, all right? Turn to your neighbor and say, you got a problem. All right, now turn to your second choice and say, you got a problem too, all right? Uh, hey, you didn't have to say it like that. I heard some judging in there, all right? Let's just, okay, bring it back, all right? Get some grace in there, all right? Listen, we've got a problem. There is this sickness that exists inside of every one of us that's called sin. And it's worse than the coronavirus, y'all. I'm telling you, it's for everybody. We done sneezed on everybody, all right? In this sickness called sin, there is no solution within you and I. Like, like there's, there's a problem in the foundation of our metaphorical house. That day, I, I, when, I, I, when I got underneath my house, like, again, I told you that, those, that the foundation, the, the boards were brittle. 
And it was obvious that I needed to do something to remedy this issue. And that's a picture of what's happening inside of every one of our hearts when we are just born and we just do things naturally. We have a brittle, broke foundation. And so what we try to do is that oftentimes, like, I don't have to convince you that you need help, I promise you. Like, you don't have to convince me. We know we got issues, all right? Nobody has come in here, thought they had it all together. I mean, if you live a little bit of life, you quickly realize you are not God's gift to humanity, okay? And we've all got hangups and habits and hurts, and we've all been wounded by this world. Uh, we've all done things that we regret. And so we don't have to be convinced that we need help at times. We need therapy, a life coach, a pill. We need something. We all know that we need something, all right? And so we've come in here, and what happens is that once we recognize that issue, we begin to try to remedy that issue on our own. And so, like, imagine if I'm in the crawl space of my house, my foundation is broke, and I think that I can remove this brittle board and then try to strap it to this one, thinking that that's going to fix the issue. No, I needed to remove all of the decaying wood, and I, did, I needed to bring something new in altogether. And this is a picture of what the scripture says between you and I, that we cannot just move our morality or our lack thereof and try to remedy our issue over here. Like there is nothing inside of you that is going to be sufficient to fix you. Coldplay taught us that, right? That I've tried so hard, but I can't succeed to try to fix you. It's not gonna play out the way that you hoped it would. And so the gospel tells us this bad news, that we are worse than we really want to admit. And so the gospel, it means good news. And so when does the good news come in? So here's what the gospel is trying to do. It's trying to help you understand that God is not trying to make bad people good people. He's trying to make people who are spiritually dead come to life. And so the good news is this, is that Jesus saw us in our sin. He knew that we had a virus called sin that we could not uh, overcome within. And so he sent his son, God sent his son Jesus on a rescue mission, and he put on flesh to relate to us, to dwell among us, to be our sacrifice, to die for us, to overcome the curse by raising from the dead. And listen, this is so important for us to understand clearly what the gospel is. The gospel is the good news that you and I don't have to die in our sin. We can live forever if we put our faith in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And so he lived a sinless life, born of a virgin, died a sinner's death on the cross, and then he rose from the grave three days later, appeared to hundreds of people over the span of 40 days. He ascended to the right hand of the Father, and he is seated as king and enthroned as Lord of lords, king of kings over all the universe. That if you're looking for a verse that succinctly captures the gospel, we've got a Reference my guy Paul in 1 Corinthians 15. He says this in 1 Corinthians 15, three through five. He says that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. This is the gospel. This is the foundation. And that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures and that he was seen by Cephas. Uh, that's another name for Peter, one of the disciples. Then, then by the 12, and it goes on to say, and then by 500, and this is what John is so fired up about. He's like, this infinite God, I've hung out with him. And he wants to know you. 
He goes on in verse 3, 1 John 1, 3, and he says, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you. That John is saying is that, that, that I spoke this message to you. John didn't have this approach where he was like, you know what? I know Jesus, and I'm just going to live a good lifestyle. And I'm going to live such a good lifestyle that you are going to be so enthralled by my good lifestyle that one day you're going to come and you're going to ask me, why are you such a good person? What is different about you? And then I will open up my scroll and I will share with you that it is Jesus that has changed my life. This is not John's approach. He's like, man, I met Jesus and I'm writing to tell everybody. I'm just a nobody trying to tell somebody about God who can change anybody. This is John's approach. And he opens his mouth because, listen, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so John, he's saying that I want to share with you what I've seen. And he goes on, he says this, we're declaring this, I declared this to you, and here's the reason, that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly, here's the key point, truly our fellowship, you could circle that word, truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. What John is saying is that I've written this letter to you so that you'll have a deep relationship, not some surface level, not some Instagram friendship like we heard about last week, but a deep relationship with one another and a deep relationship with God. Point number two, if you're taking notes tonight, why do we need the gospel? We've already answered what is the gospel. Why do we need it? What is so important about the gospel that you desperately need it? Listen, you cannot know God. You, you cannot experience life and life abundantly. You will miss the reason why you exist. You will not live forever. You cannot know God apart from the gospel. And we desperately need the gospel. So, so my story is, is a little bit up and down. Maybe some of y'all's story is like this as well. Uh, my grandfather moved in with us um, when he was doing some work when I was a boy, and he was kind of like the spiritual mentor in, in my family. And he had open heart surgery, and so he stayed with us, him and my grandmother, for an extended period of time. And during that time, he began to share the gospel with me. And I remember in my kitchen when I was a boy, I came to him and said, I said, you know, Grandpa, I want to know Jesus. And so he shared the gospel with me in a way that I could understand. I prayed a prayer. I got baptized. That means I got dunked under some water. And then, like, I was good. Or so I thought. And, and the worst sin that I committed was after praying a prayer. And the worst sin that was committed against me was after praying a prayer. And, and like, here's what I thought. For most of my Christianity, I thought that the purpose of the gospel was so that I could have forgiveness. That's wrong. I thought that the purpose of the gospel was so that I could receive grace from God. That's wrong. I thought the purpose of the gospel was so that I could get mercy, so that I could be alleviated of my shame, so I could be set free. All wrong. The purpose of the gospel is that I get God. And when I make God the end, then all of those things, forgiveness, mercy, grace, alleviated from my shame, set free, all of those things come into play. But the reason why we desperately need the gospel is so that we can have a right relationship with God. If you go after God for his things and not for him, you are selling out the gospel and you are pimping out Jesus to serve your end. 
that the gospel is about you having deep, rich fellowship with God. Do you know the gospel? Do you have an intimate relationship with Jesus? Uh, this word fellowship that John uses, not a real common word in our, in our culture today. Like, y'all weren't hanging out this weekend. Like, man, what'd y'all do? The weather was good. Man, we just, you know, we just fellowshiped. Like, no, we ain't doing that, right? We, we, hang, we hang out. We don't use the word fellowship. And we use it in church circles, and it kind of gets twisted. But, but here's what it means. It's the Greek word koinonia. If you're taking notes, you can just jot this down. It's the Greek word koinonia, and it means that you have a tight relationship. It, it means that you have intimacy, that, that you're companions, and what John is saying is that I, I've, I, that which was from the beginning, God, big Jesus, I, I, I hung out with him, and I want you to know him tight. I, I want y'all to have an intimate relationship. John, he had fellowship with Jesus, and it just made life fuller. It made life better, if you will. There's a story in John chapter 2 where Jesus is at this wedding, and, and it's only recorded in John's gospel. And, and so John tells us that Jesus goes to this wedding. And, and, and back in the day, like when they had weddings, like it, was, like it wasn't like your wedding that you've got planned, all right? Like I'm, I'm excited about your wedding. It's going to be awesome. But it, it's just going to be a couple of hours. Back in the day, they partied for a week, all right? Tell your daddy that one, young ladies, all right? And so they partied for a week. And what happened is that Jesus showed up at this wedding, and they were running out of wine. Now, back in the day, wine was the drink of choice, so don't use that to justify why you have an open bar at your wedding. And so wine was the drink of choice back in the day because the water would make you sick. But what would happen is that when you threw a week-long party, you had to prepare to get enough wine to, to satisfy the people that were there. Well, Jesus shows up, and they're like, Jesus, check this out, man. We're running out of wine. And so Jesus is like, all right, bring me all the dirty water. And so Jesus is showing up at this celebration. And listen, the celebration is about to run short. The celebration is about to be stunted. So Jesus steps in, he says, bring me the foot washing water, which was stank, kind of like toilet water. He says, bring me the toilet water. And then he does some sort of weird Jesus thing and he turns that water into the best wine that they had served the whole week. And the celebration finds its fulfillment because Jesus showed up to the party. And I'm trying to tell you that when you have fellowship with God, it enhances your pleasure. A lot of you come in here and you think that God is like out to rob you, man. Like he patented pleasure. It was his idea, all right? And, and, and your, your fulfillment, your pleasure in life is going to be stunted if you'd never align your heart with the one that invented the pleasure. Like Jesus makes the sweet sweeter. He, he makes the celebration run its course. That when you have fellowship with Jesus, it, it makes things better. Now, don't use this story as a reason why you're going to go get hammered tonight, all right? I know some of you are already thinking, like Chad said, we, we about to wind it up, right? God, you know, like, like, we ain't doing that, okay? Clearly, the Scripture says that alcohol is not a sin, that drunkenness is, all right? So honor Jesus in the way that you do your thing. Anyway, and so Jesus, when you have fellowship with him, he makes the sweet sweeter. But also, when you have fellowship with Jesus, he walks with you through the storm. John, he was this fisherman, like think deadliest catch. I remember that show, the brothers crazy out there catching them crabs, right? They just trying to make a dollar for real, all right? And so they're out there, think deadliest catch. John is on this boat with his guys. And like, you know, when the captain on the deadliest catch boat 
it's like, hey, man, we got some issues, right? Like, you know there's some issues, all right? Now, if it's just the, the, you know, the, the first guy that's on the show, like, if he dies, oh, well. And so, but the captain, right? And so John is like, they're on this boat. They're out in the ocean, or they're out in the sea, and, and the storm rolls in. Jesus is asleep in the boat. You ever felt like Jesus was sleeping while you were in a storm? And so John, after they've tried to figure things out, him and his guys, they eventually go to Jesus. Why is Jesus the last place we run sometimes? Then they wake up Jesus like, Jesus, we are about to die. Jesus stands up. He doesn't even look at his guys. He looks at the storm and says, hey, knock it off. And the storm ceases. And Jesus' guys were like, yeah, he was, that was him from the beginning. He's kind of a big deal. And some of you have come in here tonight and you're trying to navigate and sail the seas in a storm alone. And now you know the gospel and you have an opportunity to begin a relationship with the one that can still the storm. But notice that Jesus allows them even to still go through the storm because life will give you some of those things. But it's in the midst of the storm that we run to the one that can rebuke the wind and the waves. And when you have fellowship with Jesus, he will sustain you through your suffering like no one else. Why do we need the gospel? Because we need God. He makes your sweet sweeter. And he makes you able to be sustained through the storm. Do you know God like that? Do you have fellowship with God? My wife and I, she gifted me with three beautiful girls. And she did most of the heavy lifting, but it was tough on me. And so y'all, you know, I'm still, just kidding. So I remember being there. That's amazing. Like if you've ever had kids, you know this. And, and one day, hopefully most of you will have kids. And oh, it's just so incredible. Like, like, like there's four people in the room. A fifth comes in the room. No doors open, all right? It's just like, it's incredible. God, like and when you know God, it makes this moment that's painful, yes, that's messy, yes, but it makes this moment that is so sweet, but you know the one that knit that child together in your spouse's womb, guys, that, that you know this little baby that God has plans for to prosper and to, to have hope and a good life, and you, you hold this baby, and I just remember like thinking, like, God, you have allowed me to, to be a part of this bringing forth new life, and it makes the sweet so much sweeter. My wife and I, we'd been married 13 months, and we went out on a, a little four-wheeling expedition, and I was driving the four-wheeler, and I hit the throttle too hard, and we reared up, and she fell off the back and broke her back. And for three months, she was bedridden, 13 months into our marriage. A storm. And because we had fellowship with God, God allowed us to push through that difficult season and to lean into one another. I remember hitting my knees as she was wincing in pain and saying, oh, baby, baby, I'm sorry. And I remember asking, God, would you, would you help us now? As I, as I got off the prayer, I started called 911, and, and we began that storm and navigating that together with God. Do you know God like that? You need the gospel in order to be able to know God. John, he says this, and 
verse 4, he says, And these things we write to you that your joy may be full, that John wants you to have life. Um, he wrote, wrote in John 10, 10, he recorded Jesus saying that the enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, but I have come to bring you life and life more abundantly. That Jesus wants you to have strength in the midst of your storm. He wants you to have joy that is unshakable. He wants you to have joy that's not halfway done, but well done and complete. He wants you to know Christ completely. Point number three, if you're taking notes tonight, what do we do with the gospel? What do we do with the gospel? Well, first of all, if you know Christ, you share the gospel. If you know Christ, what you do with the gospel is you share it. Do you share the gospel? John said this. He said, we're, we're declaring what we experienced. And it's so hard for us to think about sharing our faith at times because the culture that we live in, uh, there was a recent study done that found that millennials are twice as likely to say that it is wrong for you to share your faith. And so this is the culture that we live in. We're like, you know what, I'm, I'm going to keep my spiritual matter and my spiritual life to myself. And, and listen, if that's you and you claim to follow Jesus, your belief is off. And you're, oper you're operating as a functional universalist. And what that means is that you're, just, you're operating as if all people go to heaven. And that, that you just picked a belief and you don't really believe what the scriptures say. Like, could you imagine how it would make John feel if he was here tonight? And y'all were hanging out. He's got his sleeves rolled up. You see burn scars on his arm from the boiling water. And, and, and like y'all are talking and he's like, man, hey, like, tell me, how, how, like, what's God been doing in your life? How, like, have you shared with somebody? You're like, you know what, John? Oh, man, I just, I ain't got time, bro. I'm just so busy all the time. I'm just got all, I mean, I, you know, I was, I was on, I mean, I was on the ground for like 40 hours this week. But, you know, besides that, I just didn't, I didn't make time to do it. And John's just looking at you like this. <laughs> you ain't got time, huh? So was my life, was my life a waste? Or have you invented a Christianity that's not recorded in the scriptures? Do, do you share your faith? Like, like listen, I, I, think, I think we know how to share Okay, I think we know how to, like this word evangelism, it means that you are uh, an enthusiastic, here we go, it means that this, you are an enthusiastic, here we go, you are an enthusiastic advocate. And uh, we know how to do this. I got a buddy of mine from Louisiana that's uh, visiting with me over the next couple of days. He just got here today and I said, hey, one of the things we got to do in Kansas City is we got to get some barbecue, right? And, and so um, he doesn't know about the barbecue here in KC and so I figured we could just do a little exercise real quick and on the count of three, I need you to tell him what is the best barbecue in Kansas City, all right? Y'all do that for me? He's here, all right? And so he needs to hear this so that we can figure out which barbecue place we're going to go to tomorrow night. So on the count of three, you shout out the best barbecue place in Kansas City. One, two, three. All right, you get that, you get that, Kristen? All right. What you just proved is that you have the ability to be an enthusiastic advocate or an evangelist for barbecue. So you have the ability to share. But if you know the gospel and you're not sharing the gospel, then I'm not sure that you know the gospel. If you claim to follow Jesus, but you're not pointing other people to follow Jesus, then you're not following Jesus. Charles Spurgeon, Prince of Preachers, he's dead now, but he said this, have you no wish for others to be saved? 
then you're not saved yourself. Be sure of that. Y'all know that that Kansas City is 33% post-Christian? Just to put that in perspective, Portland, Oregon is 42%. What that means is that a third of the people, according to this research by Barna, a third of the people that you do life with, that I do life with, they don't know the gospel. They've never been to church. I think sometimes we come to places like this and we think everybody just believes like we do. They don't. And God has strategically placed you, Acts 17, 26, I do believe. He strategically placed you where he has placed you in time so that you can connect people that are blind spiritually. You can connect their hands to God's. And he wants to invite you in on one of the most exciting aspects of your faith. And that's helping other people find what you found. There was a study done by Barna Group as well that said that millennials are, are actually, they're open to having spiritual conversations. And a lot of you know this. But, but the way they want to have a spiritual conversation is one-on-one with somebody who's following Jesus, 53%. This is how they want to engage. They, they, like, you can invite people to things like this, and I hope you do. And this is a great opportunity, a great occasion to have a spiritual conversation but, but what God wants to do is he wants to fill you with his spirit if you know him. He wants to use you. Some of y'all are more excited about what God's gonna do through me than he's gonna do through you. And you misunderstand the scriptures. God wants to use you, beloved of God. He wants to use you, man of God. He wants to use you, woman of God, to open up your mouth and talk about what you have experienced. That is, if you have. Do you share your faith? In order to share your faith, you gotta have two things real quick. You gotta have curiosity so ask questions. Hey, do you have a faith? That's a great question to ask. Do you have a faith? Um, on a scale of one to ten, one being, you know, I don't think I'm going to go to heaven, ten being, yeah, I'm sure I'm going to go to heaven. How would you rate yourself? Um, if you were to stand before God and he was to say, hey, why should I let you into heaven, what would you say? Curiosity. What is the gospel to you? And then at some point in the conversation, you've got to have courage to be able to share the gospel. Can I share something with you that's really important to me? And share your story of life transformation, your testimony, or share the gospel. Can I share with you the main message of the Bible? And some of you are hearing, like, I don't know how to do that. We want to help you be equipped to be able to articulate the gospel and your story. We have this thing called Unashamed. It happens three times a year. It's coming up in April. You should sign up for it. You'll spend two weeks before you go on a weekend excursion to be able to live out your faith, we're just basically teaching you how to be a Christian. You, you go for two weeks to learn how to share your story, to learn how to share the gospel with clarity and with confidence, and then you go do it. And so how do we respond to the gospel? What do we do with the gospel? We share it. And then others of us here, we need to experience it. My wife's been making these cinnamon rolls, y'all. <laughs> Telling y'all, man. Like, from scratch. And so she gets this flour, she looked good doing it, too. She get this flour, this salt. I'm like, baby, when you bake. Mm. And so I eat you up first. Anyway, so <clears throat> back, focus. All right, focus. Salt, flour, cinnamon, all the stuff, right? She makes the dough, the yeast, and she lets it rise. She rolls it out with the thing, and then she rolls it up, and then she cuts it, and then she makes this, this, um, this, this like icing, this like cream cheese and powdered sugar. This last time she made maple espresso icing. Hallelujah, right? Listen, like you can almost taste it. I could have it here. Like you could, you could smell it. You could see it. But, it. but if we were together and my wife had made this, this is what I would invite you to do, man. You got to experience it. 
take a bite. Listen, you can smell the gospel. You can see the gospel in other people's lives. But you've got to experience it. And what do we do with the gospel? We embrace it. Some of you have been tracking and hearing this message for a minute. What are you waiting on? I was talking with my barber the other day. He just started following Jesus. And I was, I was talking with him about his relationship with Christ. And I said, hey, man, where are you at with your relationship with Christ? He said, man, I'm just still kind of checking things out. And then I went back and got my hair cut. And I said, asked him the same question. Where are you at in your relationship with Christ? He said, man, it's about time I marinate in that water a little bit. He was talking about getting baptized. He said, you know what? God has shown himself to me clearly. And I think it's time that I show myself to him. And maybe that gives language to somebody here tonight. That it's time. It's time you go to the Next Steps desk and sign up to be baptized. It's time you draw a line in the sand and say, I'm following Jesus. And when you get underneath that water, that's just an experience that joins us with Christians past that says, I've been buried with Christ in baptism and I've been raised to walk in the newness of life. And you don't forget getting in that water. Have you experienced the gospel? And listen, nothing would make us happier than to introduce you to Christ tonight. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for tonight. God, I thank you for my friends. God, I pray that you would fill us with boldness if we know you. God, give us the courage to make known the mystery of the gospel. God, we thank you so much that you died for us. We thank you so much that you're not weak, that you're not dead, but you're alive and well. God, help us to walk in your victory with confidence, not in what we've done, but the fact that you've given us a new foundation. God, if we come in here tonight and we just got old brittle boards in our heart, God, I pray that we would... We would rip them out through repentance. And we would come to you and say, God, I need you to cure me. I need you to give me a new foundation, a new heart. God, help us to have fellowship with you. Help us to enjoy sweet times, but only, only to see you, how, how you make them sweeter. God, for my friend that's going through a storm, may he rush to you and invite you to rebuke the wind and the waves. God, help us to trust you tonight. Would you work mightily in this moment for your glory in Christ's name.